0: Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. hello everybody and welcome to the 20th episode of pebble in the pond hope everybody's enjoying their festival season and having a safe and happy merry christmas and getting ready for a big new year ahead in 2020. for our 20th episode today i share with you a discussion i recently had with barbara curriga as the member of parliament for the large rural electorate of new zealand's taranaki king country barbara has a long career in the new zealand dairy industry as a farmer but is also an active board member on a number of industry boards, including Dairy New Zealand. In 2012, Barbara was awarded the inaugural Dairy Woman of the Year, and her reason for being in parliament today is to be able to represent rural communities to ensure the needs of primary producers and their support industries are being met. This week, Barbara joins us to talk about the state of rural mental health in New Zealand and how we can use lessons from other countries in improving our available support services. All right, welcome to the Pebble in the Pond podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we've got uh, Barbara Kuriga here with us uh, from New Zealand. Kia ora, Barbara. Kia ora. Uh, thanks for coming in and, and having a chat with me. I appreciate the time.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. I've enjoyed the conference so far. I wish I could stay till the end, but um, it's, uh, it's been a great experience.
0: That's okay. We appreciate the time uh, you know, for you to come over here and share what you've been doing uh, in New Zealand and what's happening over there, so we're looking forward to delving into that a little bit more. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background, uh, I know you started in agriculture, but you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the background before you became a member of Pub.
1: Yeah, well I, I grew up uh, on a dairy farm with my parents and uh, my one wish at that time was never to marry a dairy farmer. And of course, I fell in love with my dairy farmer husband, Lewis, and uh, that was all he was ever going to be. And he taught me the love of dairy farming um, like I didn't have before. So we went on to go share milking, buying our first herd, uh, buying our farms, um, our daughter and her husband are now farming. And um, we have recently, uh, under our daughter's guidance, converted our two Taranaki dairy farms to organic farms. So that's been another step in the the career which has been quite fantastic. So uh, yeah, and so now our grandchildren are, my, my grandparents were farming and now my grandchildren are growing up on farms. So we're sort of at that five generational stage now. And um, my background really went from farming to winning She Milker of the Year in Taranaki with Lewis and uh, onto boards and trusts and things. And just the love of rural New Zealand um, in particular took me into parliament. So when I was, uh, announced the inaugural Dairy Woman of the Year in 2012. I knew there was—it's uh, a great reward, but it's also a message that hey, this is the next leverage to go and do something else. And so I've taken rural New Zealand to Parliament with me.
0: And that, and that's fantastic. And what a journey you've had in in this uh, in your experience today. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more ahead. But if you, uh, what made you not initially not want to marry a dairy farmer? What was it about? I mean, because you grew up on a farm and you.
1: Yeah, I just didn't really, I suppose, um, you know, my dad was always a farmer. My mum wasn't so much, she sort of married into farming and wasn't that into it. And I just, I think it's the passion of dairy farming. You know, if you actually build it up and learn it from from someone like Lewis, who was just so passionate about it, um, And I started to get involved with the breeding of the animals. I ended up chairing the uh, Livestock Improvement National Council in New Zealand. So, you know, actually once you're sort of in control of your own destiny and you can, you know, you can see things developing and progressing. um, And what a great place to bring up a family. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a a good place to have kids on the farm.
0: A good community there in Taranaki.
1: Yeah, good communities everywhere, and I think that's the thing I've noticed actually. And particularly being a woman, people talk about women's involvement um, in you know all sorts of parts of of agriculture at community level and at regional level. I see women doing amazing things. It gets a little bit harder as we get to a more national level because you know the childcare and all of that stuff comes into it, but. I've been really lucky in that um, when I've been away, Lewis has just taken over and it's made, um, it's certainly brought our children up to be very um, independent and capable as well, which is great.
0: That sounds fantastic. So your passion, I mean, you grew up on on a dairy farm. Yeah. And and you've always lived in rural New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, Your passion then for regional, rural, remote uh, communities and being a voice for them really, I guess, yeah, even though in hindsight you wouldn't have known, but I mean it's something that's followed you, I guess, and a path that you've chosen to go down.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah, it's um, it certainly is. So in my electorate, it's one of the largest New Zealand electorates, not large in terms of the Australian context. Um, yeah. but it's four and a half hours drive from one end to the other. I've got uh, sixty-seven communities in my electorate. So some of them are as big as a town with about 8,000 people, and then you get uh, right down to places where there's just a hall and a school. Mm -hmm. And that is the value of community. And so um, for me, I call them communities rather than towns, because a lot of them aren't. Um, I do have what I call some remote parts of New Zealand, but having been at the conference and hearing... uh, people from Australia and the speaker from Canada talk about what their remote means actually in New Zealand it's not very far so probably in fairness my remote isn't that remote it's you know it's only an hour and a half from somewhere.
0: Yeah but nonetheless still uh, you know harder for them to access uh, services and there's still the challenges of isolation and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. If, If we look at uh, I guess how did you get into politics? how How did you make that jump from being a dairy? I know you got the the dairy, the inaugural um dairy woman of the year, two thousand and twelve. yeah, uh, which was a big accolade, obviously, the first one, and and yeah. what an achievement. Was it then that you, your passion, you sort of then saw an opportunity to go then and, and represent and be a voice? I'd sort
1: of watched? been thinking a little bit about it, um, you know, with my board and trust work being involved in, you know, a lot of, um, well, Dairy NZ for a start and, you know, agricultural training boards and things like that. And I used to sit back and I used to think, how many people in Parliament actually know very much about our rural communities? And there was sort of an inkling there, but I think it was... Uh, Winning that award and going through a 12-month program with a group of other women, that gave me the courage and the confidence. So there were 25 women in the program I was awarded, and 20 of them came from Auckland, four came from Wellington, and there was little old me that used to go in and out of rural New Zealand. And I think you know that was the thing that gave me the confidence is all of them were involved in insurance and banking and telecommunications and all of the things that connect with our rural New Zealand and realising actually that um you know we do have a lot in common as people. Uh, we just get uh, the way we deal with things like road and broadband and health and education and stuff it, it's we're all humans, we have the same needs, but we have different ways of delivering things and And I think for me, we all have a little um, imposter syndrome on our shoulder that says, um, yes, I can, little monkey on the shoulder goes, no, you can't, yes, Mm. I can, no, you can't. But it was that program and going through that that really gave me the courage and confidence to step up and say, yep, I want to go to Wellington. Mm. Yeah.
0: And your family obviously is quite supportive, Lewis. Uh, Yeah. Obviously, they they're cheering for you and very proud of of Mum.
1: Yeah, they are very supportive. So, you know, I think uh, MP spouses actually have the hardest time of the whole lot and make the biggest sacrifice. So we get our plans made for us. You know, we follow the plans. We're out and about every day when we're not in Wellington doing something. And um, being in a big rural electorate has meant that I actually live in three places. So I live in Wellington when Parliament's sitting and I live at each end of the electorate just to make the access easier with the airports. And poor old Lewis just has to, you know, find out where I am and catch up. And he's just absolutely awesome. He's brilliant. I email and talk on the phone and he pretty much looks after me when he's around and does the cooking and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I've got two sons and a daughter. My boys are very political. Um, very proud, give me a lot of feedback, and lucky we're all on the same side of politics. Otherwise, that might be a bit hard to take sometimes, but it's really good feedback from the next generation yeah. as to how I'm going, how the team's going. Um, my daughter was not political, but she's making her way through uh, the industry. She's now in the executive of the Dairy Industry Awards, she's a leader in farming, organics, and those sorts of things. And it's really interesting over recent times with some of the topics that have come under the agenda in politics. Um, she said, I never really thought I was that interested in politics, but gee, I'm getting wound up right now, she says. So, you know, who knows what's in her future? Yeah, you just yeah. gotta find the
0: right initiatives, I yeah. guess, and the purpose, I guess. And,
1: then... and I've got six grandchildren, so um, four boys and, and two girls who have recently had a new granddaughter. and But my eight and a half year old granddaughter, she's fascinated. Mm. So when the new baby was born um, she and her six-year-old brother came around the electorate with lewis and i for 10 days we did about two and a half thousand kilometers we went to farmer meetings we went to various things she wore my spare jacket and she was mini me for 10 days and she just loved it so yeah. you know it's um it's it's a whole family involvement really yeah. it's not that you just go away i didn't want to you know, I want this to be a long-term career and I didn't want to wake up at the end of it and go, where's my family?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's a, amazing what a support network you have around you and, and uh, congratulations for that. Thank you. With, with the, I guess with what you're, I mean, you're representing rural communities uh, and ensuring that you're meeting the needs of primary producers. Tell me about the key initiatives that you've really been focusing on.
1: Well, I think, you know, right now in New Zealand, um, you know, if we go back 10 or 15 years, if the product price was good, which largely it is now, probably with the exception of wool, we don't seem to have been able to to nail the wool thing too well in terms of price. But, you know, meat, milk, most things are going pretty well. The weather's been very good. Um, You know, we'll make a, a comment about, you know, the farmers of Australia to look after yourselves over here because it really is tough with the drought Mm -hmm. in parts of Australia. So our price is good, our weather's good, our interest rates are low. Now, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, if all of those things lined up, farmers were the happiest people in the world. But right now there's a level of uncertainty and the uncertainty is, you know, Fonterra's had a few glitches of late and is actually trying to put its pieces back together. It got a bit over ambitious, so everyone's worried about our major dairy cooperative. Um, I think they'll come through, but you know, we're watching that carefully. But right at the moment, I think the concerns are, um, you know, there's a big drive around climate change, around water, around methane, Um, and a whole range of things that we don't quite have the tools to fix. And so it's that level of uncertainty where people are going, yeah, it's good today, but what's tomorrow and next year and five years time going to look like? So we need to try and work through a transition to get those tools in place. So it's very easy for farmers to know how to put up a fence and plant trees along a waterway that's achievable. You can see it, you can do it. When it comes to methane, it's like, well, we've got no tools. What on earth are we going to do? So there's a lot of science going on and we will solve it. But it's just that uncertainty that's making people very um, uptight at the moment.
0: I mean, do you think it's because there's been more of a awareness and education? Because 15 years ago, I guess these things, even though they were, they were still there, we just probably didn't have the awareness that we do now. But obviously we we're now a little bit more uh, informed uh the education around all of those key issues uh, is easy, easily accessible. So do you feel like all of a sudden we're taking more of this responsibility and accountability to want to make sure that we're doing the right thing because of that awareness compared to 15 years ago?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what it is, is um, so I was on the Dairy NZ Board for 11 years before going into politics, so pretty much that's 16 years ago. Um, you know we were always looking at solutions for some of these things but I think the public pressure now uh, was social media um, and those sorts of things is actually really um, trying to squeeze the time frames down that we have and um, and certainly you know farmers have done a lot and and they have done a lot of fencing and planting and all of that sort of stuff but actually uh, if our cows keep burping and we have no tool with which to fix it, mm-hmm. um, a lot of work going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the conversations that we will need to have um, in New Zealand and across the world is what we can do with uh, genetic engineering uh, gene editing. Because mm-hmm. uh, gene editing, um, you know, there are rye grasses around now that can reduce methane by twenty to thirty percent. Wow! Uh, and but the question is. We can't currently, under our um, you know political environment, use them in New Zealand. So that's going to be a debate that we're going mm. to have. I don't think it's uh, it's it's less about the safety of the science because I think few people would now debate how safe that science is. More people are thinking about what do we need to look like as New Zealand? Do we want to have a gene editing brand on our mm. you know on our products because we we export ninety five percent of what we make so. Mm. That makes us sort of really, um, you know, at the behest of the world. Um, so we've got to think about that from a marketing aspect as much yeah, as anything. because
0: New Zealand products are highly regarded worldwide. Yeah, yeah So yeah. there is that expectation, I guess. <clears throat> but technology is also something that everyone's trying to yeah. assess it quickly and say, well, is this something we need to adapt, evolve now? Or, yeah. you know, is this something that's just a crazy idea that uh, people or consumers will not buy at the end of the day? So.
1: Well, also, um, you know, technology in that realm, going into a new science, um, you know, could be really helpful if we decide to use it. But um, secondly to that, um, there's a lot of technology that we can now use in terms of uh, particularly irrigated farms with water runoff, measuring, you know, having uh, monitors in the ground and things like that. Mm. A lot of it runs by broadband. So, you know, we're getting that broadband, uh, getting across the country, you know, it's in all of our rural schools, uh, but, you know, some of it's not quite into some of our rural areas yet. But once we do that, some of the technology we can use to monitor will really help us manage things much more effectively.
0: It's really interesting. And so if we go to, to Barbara and the connection to mental health, tell, yep. tell me about where the passion and the drive started for you with regards to rural and remote mental health?
1: It probably started um, before I you know, had any thoughts of going into politics, but back in 1995 uh, my brother-in-law went to a new farm with my sister, our two little children who were three and one, and two months into it realised that the job wasn't uh, what he envisaged. Uh, and he committed suicide and left my sister with two little children. And uh, it was a very tough time for her and uh, the boys and the extended family. And uh, we found out following that that um you know there was a, a genetic trait in that family, something we didn't know about. So now you know his father and his brothers are, are truly aware and know exactly what to do when uh, they feel susceptible. But at that time, when that happened, It was the first time for me of a realisation that, hey, this has happened in our family. Mm. You know, until then, it's always something that happened in somebody else's family because it was something we didn't talk about much Mm. in in that time. And, you know, I can remember young people dying when I was a child and no one ever talked about why. And if I think back now to some of those things, I think, well, it's probably, not that it was as prolific then, but um, so that was my first experience. And then... You know, since then I've lost a cousin, and you know, there's just, yeah. there's just it touches everybody's family, even if it doesn't lead to a suicide. And thankfully, a lot of the time it doesn't. But actually, I think everybody's got some sort of form of uh mental health awareness in their own families these days, where it was kind of toughen up before. Mm. It's not now.
0: Yeah, and firstly, sorry for the loss with um, with your brother-in-law and also your cousin. It's it, do you find that that all of a sudden, like, and, and what you said was was quite true, is is that we often don't feel like this could happen to us, mm. and it's like, uh, you know, nah, I hear about that stuff, but no, nah, we're all good, our family's fine, and, and it won't affect us, yeah, uh, until it does, and then all of a sudden, it it brings you into gear. So, so tell me, um, tell me about how that. What year are we talking about that, that sort of it then sprung you into gear to say, well there's something I need to do about this, and it's greater than just our family. Yeah. Because obviously that would have been your first thought was like, hang on, we need to really look after the family. But then secondly, you're looking at it saying, well, there's other people in in farmers and rural remote areas that also need some help.
1: Yeah. And certainly, um, you know, going through that process and being involved in the industry and in 2003 when I was elected to the Dairy NZ Board, you know, when we were sort of working on, we had had the environmental stuff, the farming stuff and the people stuff and I was in the people and culture group and, you know, we all talked about, you know, looking after farmers and how we go about that. Um, Various groups have actually built up in New Zealand. I've been a strong supporter of the Rural Support Trust. Yes. Um, but there's a group called Farmstrong, and I've been on a couple of bike rides with them. In fact, I biked 60 kilometres at the bottom of the South Island, probably the only the longest bike ride I've ever done. Um, but um, they raised about 260000 just from a small local group of about 16 people biking the length of the South Island to raise the awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's back in those times that actually... Um, You know the photos in the paper the things that are happening and people standing up going i've got a problem i've had a problem my friend's got a problem Um, just realizing how how strong that was and i can tell you on one of those bike rides i sat down one night i was privileged uh, with lewis to sit in a room full of the bike riders and part of it was the bike ride part of it was the fundraising But the most important part of that bike ride was they sat around a room and they opened up Mm. and there were tears and they were with a group of people that totally understood where they'd been Mm. Um, and some of them had been in some pretty dark places and and I think just um, you know for me um, firstly in Dairy NZ but now in government trying to find the linkages of where people can go and I cannot speak highly enough of our Rural Support Trust um, and I realised um, a few years ago, so most of you all uh, may be aware of John Kerwin who was one of our famous yeah. All Blacks who's really led part yeah. of the charge in New Zealand and he um, he came to a, a town uh, in Taranaki one night, Hawara, and it was the 6th of August and um, farmers don't go anywhere on the sixth of August because they're calving cows. But anyway, the timing of this, you know, his rotation of his tour was the sixth of August. Four hundred and fifty people turned up in that room that night, and you would never see a room full of farmers like that unless there's a controversy. Right. And you know, you just you just realise how how big. And it's look, it's not that you know everyone's going to get to the extreme mental. Uh, health issue, but it's how can we support each other. I know in downturns now you get the likes of Fonterra and Dairy NZ having farmer meetings and cowsheds, just taking them scones and a beer. Mm. Just encouraging people to talk to each other and um, I've got a strong belief that you know governments will only facilitate in helping this. It's the communities that are going to drive the ultimate outcomes because it's that face-to-face, opening up having a beer and a chat together that really gets people um talking that's what we need
0: 100 percent. and it's uh you talk about going out to the communities and being and sitting down and listening i mean that's you can't get any you can't get any more real feedback uh, than that no and so that community engagement obviously is key uh, yeah. for, for mental uh, ill health or health moving forward but mm. tell me about this because Strong is an initiative from sean robinson and um, the Mental Health Foundation. Was that one of the key initiatives that they're doing?
1: Yeah, they are They are quite connected to FarmStrong. Okay. So I think what happens is over New Zealand being such a small place, people start to know, you know, who who's who and um, okay. and they all start to connect up. So um, FarmStrong's always out and about at our Mystery Creek field days. Um, you know, wherever these farmers, FarmStrong are there. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So uh, okay, so with that, so you did the bike ride. You, this is O three, was it or or? Uh,
1: I did. I've done a couple of bike rides. Um, I did one uh, in twenty fourteen, just after I came into parliament. That's the one where they raised the two hundred and sixty thousand okay. dollars. But yeah.
0: So it's been something. Obviously, started out as a, as a as a personal uh, experience for you, and and mm. some you know mental ill health touched your family, mm. uh, unfortunately, and then. And then all of a sudden you moved into the role and, and taking these other responsibilities and um, being an advocate really for real people and living in rural communities. Yeah. And from that, you you're, uh, when you were part of that people and culture committee in 2003, is that where you first noticed, well, this is my opportunity to actually do more than just processes and farming and, and policy, but it's actually a chance to actually look at the people behind farming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I'd always been involved with the industry awards and things like that. And I realized that um, nothing in farming happens without people. You know, the picture of farming is often cows and grass and sheep and crops and all of that sort of stuff, but it's people that really make it what it is. And I very quickly. You know, was moved into that people space. I when I was on the Fonterra shareholders council, I was the chair of the governance and ethics committee, and that's all about how people treat each other. So, and politics really is about people too. So people think there's this big scary world of politics, but everything we do is about the people that it affects. And so for me, uh, people are number one, number one. You know, there's a there's a great. Um, Maori saying, you know, what's you know what's the most important thing in the world? He tangata, he tangata, he tangata, the people, the people, mm. the people. And so for me, um, unless we have healthy and well people, uh, we won't have healthy and well farms, and we won't have a healthy and well uh, economy. And we, won't, you know, it's um, it's just just to me the 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 policies and uh, the other things we do are really a vehicle to support people.
0: Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, the community, the people are at the heart of everything. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Why else would we be yeah, you know? Well, exactly. That's, uh, I mean, that's really interesting. So then, so so you're linked with the Rural Health Alliance. Yeah. What, um, you were uh, affiliated with that somehow? Yeah,
1: um, I had a lot of um, contact with them in terms of some of the stuff they were doing at field days. You know, they uh, were going out, they were helping with mental awareness. The place where they got unstuck and where I actually started a petition. Mm. Uh because uh they were asking for one dollar for every man, woman and child that lives in rural New Zealand Too, um that was their bid to the government Too, uh they the, the main point was they were expanding their ask because they wanted to get a data set. And they realized that if we can't measure it, we can't manage it. Mm. And they got turned down. Mm. And um and I was thinking, you know, that's not very mm. much to support rural New Zealand. Um, now since then the health Research Council has taken up uh, and put some funding uh, into getting some data sets available because um, you know it's, it's it's great to talk about all the things we can do but if we don't know where people are and mm. we don't know who's doing what and we're not measuring and managing what's actually happening we're not going to get a good result so yeah. I'm really happy that the health Research Council's taken it up um, I'm looking forward to getting those data sets mm. um, and um, and I'm I'm still engaged in the sense that when I go back to New Zealand the first week back at Parliament, um, there is a Rural Fest. And so that brings together a whole group of people from, uh, including councils and various organisations around New Zealand, to talk about what we can do for the health and wellbeing of yeah. our rural communities. So once we get those dots connected up of who's where, um, we're going to make a lot more progress, I believe, because at the moment we can talk about it, but we mm. need to actually be measuring it.
0: Do, do you know uh, what the biggest challenges are for, for communities or people in rural and remote areas of New Zealand is like similar to Australia where suicide rates are extremely like a lot higher compared to other more urban areas, are there, are there statistics that are similar and quite alarming?
1: Yeah I think uh, often, um, well first of all it was the stigma thing so people didn't know where to go. I think we're getting past that stigma thing, I wouldn't say we're over it but we've certainly uh, come a long way. A lot of people uh, now in New Zealand, particularly males and mostly males standing up going I've had an issue and I'm prepared to talk to people about it which is great. Um, I've got a belief that um, you know having more buildings and more we're not going to get any more major hospitals in our country but even having buildings to deal with mental health is not the answer Mm. so if i go out into my what i call my most remote communities i can find three people out there with nursing qualifications and mental health qualifications now they shouldn't need to drive an hour and a half to go to work every day there should be enough work in their vicinity to be able to facilitate that so Once we have the data, my belief is it's actually just training up as many people as possible. Um, It's gonna be a slow path to have enough doctors. And actually we don't really need doctors and psychiatrists to deal with the first level of stress and anxiety. So if we've got people in our community who understand, um, you know, how it starts, how it progresses and have, have uh like broadband or whatever or some sort of telehealth where they can then when they need to connect up to somebody to to get that further information and send somebody when they need to um i think we'll be in a better space and look i see that being the answer whether it be mental well-being or physical well-being because i we, we need to take the politics out of some of this because you know each government and change of government whoever they are has a different idea and I think if you can give each community um, the basic tools of mental wellbeing, a blood pressure machine, a diabetes check kit, or something to check kids' ears, um, once that's in the hands of the community, you could base it at the local school, you've got the broadband, you've got the ability to tap into a specialist somewhere, or a doctor if need be, if there isn't one there. I think when we get to that level, and we know where everyone is and how they're dealing with it, then we'll be starting to solve the problem. And there's a big question of trust. And so a lot of people think, well, it's great to send a van in. Uh, Look, we have some great services in New Zealand. I'm right behind the mobile health where they do day operations. Um, They do breast cancer checks. They do diabetes checks. They do dentistry, prostate cancer. There's a whole range of buses doing a whole range of things. And that's fine for the physical stuff, because if people need to get an appointment, someone refers them or they go for a check, they'll go. But when it comes to mental wellbeing, most people aren't going to walk up to a bus. Mm. And so, you know, I just think that we've got to make sure that it's that face-to-face and that uh, trust of the person you're dealing with uh, that helps to solve that mental wellbeing issue.
0: And consistency
1: sist yeah the same person coming mm. back and I you know we've had um, we've had mycoplasma bovis in New Zealand as most countries have had and it was kind of a first to us and our you know government decided they were going to eliminate it and it's been um, a really hard process to go through and interestingly enough, people as of right get three counseling sessions but can ask for more and I've talked to counselors in that process and often they'll tell me that by the time you get to the third one, It's all coming out and it's the worst time that you could actually stop having that engagement with the person as the trusted counsellor. So, you know, the importance Mm. of keeping that going, because it takes a while, three sessions for people to build that trust and get to that place. And then you've got to start dealing with the issue um, as you go forward from there. So um, really important, that trust and wellbeing, consistency, as you say.
0: There's been a record amount of funding obviously announced this year in the budget in New Zealand. Tell me, do you think that's, uh, do you think that's adequately addressing uh, some of the needs as it relates to rural and remote mental health? But also- uh,
1: not yet. Okay. Not yet. Um, look, I think it was great that we saw that announced. It's obviously, if anyone asked about the New Zealand budget in 2019, mental health was at the forefront. Mm. You know, most of the other stuff people have probably forgotten about by now. But you know, the money's great. But we need the systems processes and the community uh, um, recognition to be able to solve the problem. So, you know, the recognition is there, but there's a lot more work to be done before the systems and processes are in place. And I think, um, you know, I'm all in favour of letting our rural support trusts and others lead the way on that sort of thing. So, um, you know, our Ministry for Primary Industries has certainly got to that space with the Mycoplasma bovis and said, If the Rural Support Trust is satisfied, Mm -hmm. then we're satisfied to give the funding. We don't need to know all the personal details all the way back up into line into Wellington, um, just as long as the support trust verifies it. And I think that's where we need to get to, where uh, there are organisations in our communities that are trusted to keep the record and liaise with government, um, because, um, you know, someone, someone has to sign off and the closer the sign off to the source the more effective it is
0: Mm. yeah well obviously it's a great start uh, but like you said from that you need to make sure that uh, you know the resources are actually being spent on things that are actually going to make a a meaningful change yeah Uh, and you're right if if they invest this into processes that are broken yeah the outcome is not going to be ideal um, and it's not an efficient or an effective use of funds. Yeah,
1: and I think, you know, I I would say most governments across the world, um, you know, and no no reflection of anyone's politics, but spend a lot of time actually sitting and talking, trying to figure out how things should be done. I think really field trips to areas where it's working well to actually go, how does it work here and how can we expand that? is a far better option than sitting and trying to design something at government level.
0: There's certainly, I, I spoke to Barbara Disley uh, a few weeks ago as well, and, and she was, is doing some really great things, especially being part of that uh, commission that she was uh, you know, going around the country doing and seemed to yeah. get that engagement. Yeah. Uh, and she was very proud of that fact. But like you said, it's what comes of that mm. that's the most important part. But community driven, yeah, and getting out there and talking to the people themselves mm. is really what needs to happen. One
1: thing I'm really pleased about is that our parliament has formed a cross-party mental health group. So mm. there's one person from each party in parliament who's been part of that group. Uh, they had John Kerwin in when they launched it. Uh, we've had various other speakers. We had Lance Burdett, who's an ex-police negotiator mm. uh, who's very focused on mental health. In Parliament recently, Um, and there's a real willingness across the board to make it work because it's not something that you want to change every three, six, or nine years. No,
0: and what a what a great initiative that is. I mean, to get some alignment amongst the parties, yeah, to make sure that mental health remains a key focus, but also yeah, that consistency of funding and direction. Mm. I mean, what a what a great idea. Yeah, tell me with. Uh, with with the challenges that you're seeing, I mean, you're well connected to the community and rural uh, rural areas. What what do you see as the key challenges with, with mental ill health? Do you see it's addiction related uh, uh, problems like alcohol and other drugs, or do you see it's family violence? Do you see it's uh, isolation, social um, social challenges? What what do you see are the key factors uh, or key challenges?
1: I, uh, not a general rule, but I would say kind of generational. So if you look at the older people who are perhaps getting into that phase with, um, you know, they've been farm owners for a long time. Mm. A lot of the pressures are coming down. Sometimes it's financial, those sorts of things. I think with the older generation, it's probably more worrying about the future.
0: Stress,
1: Um, stress, those sorts of things. I would say with some of the younger farm worker type people, um, certainly in society today the drug and alcohol mm. issue is becoming a large part of it um, and it certainly um, you know it really is a large part of the family violence issue there is absolutely no question in my mind about that um, the whole thing is is completely related and it can also be intergenerational as well so yeah. you know if a child's uh, being exposed to drug and alcohol and you know being mm. beaten up on the way and seeing mm. mum beaten up on the way that cycle actually starts to repeat itself so mm. um yeah look i would say farming wise it's more about the stress uh, but rural wise the drug and alcohol factor is certainly different to what it was when i was growing up
0: you're right.
1: yeah yeah
0: do you feel like compared to say 2003 2000 uh, when you're probably to becoming aware of mental ill health do you, do you feel like you're progressing and new zealand's progressing with regards to mental health
1: um I, look i think i think we've learned a lot but i don't think we've kind of as i said before the measuring and managing needs to go on but i think overlaid with where we were back then if we start to talk about things like methamphetamine and those sorts of things it's actually um you know that's a massive problem for every country yeah. to try and solve, and that's exacerbating the problem. But I think the other thing is um, there seems to be more, but we talk we we've opened it up, so we encourage people to come forward, and it's like the family violence thing, you know, um sometimes that used to be shut in a cupboard, and no one talked about it. but now we're actually opening it up. more people are talking about it, more people are reporting. so, I think we've reached a stage in society where I don't know that it's worse, Mm. but I know that it's opened up and that's a good thing because, you know, all those debates years ago was, oh, don't talk about suicide because somebody might do it. Mm. And it's um, actually work. Thankfully, we're way past there um, because if we don't face up to something and admit there's a problem, we're never going to be able to fix it.
0: Yeah. So you find people are more accepting of being able to talk about it, but still. The stigma still exists, but self-stigma is not as bad because, like yeah. I said before, you used to not talk about it, not say anything, and just yeah. keep it within. Yeah. Uh, whereas now somewhat we're on the way to yeah. being able to sit down and have conversations with people and yeah. try and get ahead of it. And like you say, with the measuring, it's difficult, isn't it, because more and more reporting, which means more people are coming and seeking help, and you're like, well, is that worse or is that better? Because it's good on one hand Yeah. previously maybe they didn't even feel comfortable about coming to get some That's
1: help. right, that's right. The thing that probably worries me at the moment is a little bit of a gender imbalance here, and the reason I say that is largely we think, it, and historically it's mostly been males with suicide, um, but I've just watched over the last few years and I've seen some stats that actually show that the female suicide has increased. And I think... Um, you know that's kind of a worrying effect. As why is that happening? I mean, the woman's always kind of being the staunch person that's, you know, been able to get the family through and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, I've seen some pretty worrying stats mm-hmm. over the last five years that um, it's the suicide rates and rural women are going up. Like rural is is uh, higher than uh, than urban in terms of male, but females have been quite low historically um so um yeah that that that's a bit concerning and I think um maybe the stigma for males it's ma- most of our role models in mental health are males. we do have some females currently going around the country um raising awareness one of them uh, lost a family member um but it's traditionally been sort of looked at as more of a male thing and I think Females are now starting to go through that process where they're recognising that it's all of us that can be affected.
0: Mm. Mm. And tell me about the children, the kids in rural communities, and the challenges they face. Because uh, I mean, I guess you know, trauma and all these sorts of things, I guess, is really is real out there in rural and remote communities. Yeah. it's real everywhere. But I guess, tell tell me about some of the issues, the key issues facing children, and uh, and the importance that they play. effectively they're the future.
1: They're absolutely the future. And um, as I say, I've got grandchildren now involved in farming. And I think um, some of the issues that they face is, uh, you know, um, look, farming's a wonderful life and it's a great place to bring up kids. But the pressures that are coming down via social media, um, you know, my granddaughter, I had a good conversation with her recently. She's at school. We know that people are pushing on climate change and, you know, this farmer's bad attitude is out there, you know and they're telling these kids that their parents are bad people because they're farmers, and, you know, that sort of stuff really weighs heavily on kids, mm. and, and you know, when I've got farmers of, of my age going, oh, what's the point? You mm. know, why don't I just go off and do something else? It's not going to encourage our young people to actually come through, and where I get most concerned is that, you know, if you look at the, the Climate Accord in Paris, half of that accord was about securing food, Security for the world going forward. So, yes, we can do this stuff. Meanwhile, making sure that food security is taken care of. We don't hear about that food security very often. So, it it, it feels right now um, that farmers are becoming a target Mm. of uh, a small group of people. You know, particularly, you've got um, vegans going around supermarkets putting Mm. stamps on things. And look, if someone wants to be a vegan, I respect that but all I ask is that the vegans respect the farmers. Mm. I choose to eat meat. If yeah. someone chooses not to eat meat, that's their choice. Mm-hmm. There's a small group of people that think that everything in this world revolves around them and the whole world needs to actually follow that process. Now, we'll get there, um, and we, we wanna show our kids, I think, that there's a farming, well, there is a farming, there has to be a farming future. Mm. We're, we're food, after all. Yeah. So. But there needs to be a transition time, and our politicians and our people need to understand that if we want to get from A to B, all farmers want to do the right thing. Yeah, They just want to know, where am I today? Mm. Where do you want me to go to? What tools have I got? How long have I got? What's it going to cost me? Show yeah. me the process. And you know, when it comes to methane and stuff like that, that just isn't in front of them right now. So... Um, I, you know, I think in fairness to farmers and in fairness to the kids of the future, if everyone can just take a step back and go, actually, well, I don't believe the world's going to end in eleven or twelve years, or mm. you know what, you know, the whole fear that's that's causing mm. a huge amount of uh, mental
0: anxiety
1: anxiety in our children right now. I've got friends whose 10-year-old grandson doesn't want to go to the beach because he thinks the sea's going to come and get him while he's asleep, you know, with the mm-hmm. water rising. And, yeah. and so I think we've got to be really careful what we do around this kind of, um, you know, everybody's getting far too heightened up instead of sitting back, thinking about the science, thinking about the, what the measures are, because I think the next big protest in the world after all of these climate change processes is going to be where's the food?
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's uh, – you can see how access to information or how easily influence can just take off in this mm. day and age. And and you're right. I guess from a farmer that hasn't really – wasn't born into this technology, they've seen it come through mm. younger generations. I mean, no wonder they're overwhelmed and they're mm. stressed. They've got different reports, researchers out there, but you're sort of like, well, do we do this? Do we do that? There's so many – convoluting things going on and you're just confused and it's like well it's almost like some of them get to the point to say well this is just what's the point I don't understand this anymore yeah I, I thought it was just simple about yeah. just you know yeah. growing cows milking cows selling yeah. meat.
1: yeah um, and there's a lot of you know questions about well hang on my grass does a certain amount of you know absorbs a certain amount of carbon as mm-hmm. do my soils as do you know we've planted thousands of trees, and at the point, you know, people are saying, "Well, that doesn't really count." Only you know, big plots count, and it all counts. Yeah. So it's getting it down. And that's one thing we're trying to do in New Zealand, and we've recently had a group, eleven farming groups, who have reached agreement with the government over the emissions trading scheme to keep agriculture out to the point where um, you know we've can measure stuff down to farm level. Because yeah. it's all very well to measure it at processor level, but that doesn't get changed. We've got to actually, um, you know, what you can you can charge the processor, but it's not going to fix the problem. Yeah. If you take it down to farm level and find some tools that people can act on every day, that's how we're going to get changed. And so it's a matter of having time. And I do commend our government for actually. Mm. Um, Accepting what the agriculture community is saying is going, well, look, let's give us five years to keep working on some of these things and see if we can get some uh, tools right down to farm level that we can um, help to fix the situation. None of us are climate deniers, mm. um, but um, you know, there's, there's the climate denier at one end, the climate extremist at the other end, and the answer is somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. What Looking forward for you and, uh, and what your role is with mental health or what your key initiatives are, where do you see the next three to five years for you and what you're up to?
1: Oh, look, I would, um, you know, obviously my rural community, my purpose thing will never change. Mm. Um, what I'm really keen to do is um, to continue to work with that cross-party mental health mm. group um, in Wellington. Um, and, uh, you know... <laughs> I just want to try and find effective ways to make a difference and get funding for them Uh, because, um, you know, first of all, I want to get this Health Research Council work and find out how then we best deliver to what gives the best results. Mm. So until I find that everyone in our rural communities is serviced, um, I'm not going to be stopping anytime soon. That's That's
0: really good. Because I guess the process view is getting that information, the data to be able to see what the challenges are and then work out the model yeah. to then make sure we're rolling out a model that is conducive yeah. to actually improving uh, and progressing. Yeah, um, yeah. Not only preventing mental illness, but also promoting mental health.
1: Exactly. Um, well being, promoting well being is a big part of it. And I think, you know, it may not be one model, mm. it might be a model for a particular part of the country. It might work better somewhere else. I think that's the one thing that um, you know politicians have to realise is that there might not be a one size fits all Mm. and if someone in one part of the country says well actually it works a little bit more effectively over here by doing x rather than y we should let that happen Mm. because what we're after is results.
0: And you feel like you have that opportunity to look at that modelling and structure once the data comes out and with the existing party or the committee that's been set up. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. We've got a um a rural, a rural communities portfolio now set, set up under Minister Damien O'Connor.
0: Mm.
1: And I think it's a great concept, but I don't think it's doing any work like it should be yet. So I've got a massive ruler in my office, which is a recycled timber, and it's taller than me, and I call it my rural ruler. And one of my aspirations is to try and work out how we can Get each so each government department is tasked when they're doing something with going well. How will this affect rural? Which is a great concept, but I don't actually think anybody's got the ability to actually put the right things in place to you know stand there and accurately say that it's working effectively. So I think we've got to find some ways to make that happen as well. Because when we can do that, um, as I say, as I said at the start, we're all human beings. Mm We all want similar things, but it's different how we get it in rural. So we need to be able to get that measured, and and so that then we're implementing something, we can make slight adjustments for where it's different.
0: I think rural and remote communities in New Zealand are very uh, fortunate and and lucky to have someone like yourself, Barbara, beating the drum for those communities because it's one thing for people to talk about it, and another thing for things to be done. And it sounds like. Certainly with with the walk you've walked previously and and, and your your intentions moving forward is to actually drive that and make sure that uh, rural and remote communities are not forgotten, that they have a voice, but also that they're going to have access to mental health uh, and prevention uh, services as well for mental ill health. So,
1: One of the things I said when I got into parliament, someone said, what can one person out of 120 do? And I said, go and find all the like-minded people and create some momentum. So I now lead the provincial priorities team. Mm -hmm. So I've got 12 or 15 MPs um, in my team who represent all the big electorates in the country and regularly we go around and we visit various Mm -hmm. people's electorates. We take the pulse over the whole of the country, so it's not just me saying what happens in my electorate, it's 12 or 15 of us saying this is what rural New Zealand's thinking. So creating that momentum, and also building relationships with people on the other side who truly understand what rural's about, because actually the reality is, in parliaments all around the world now, um, rural representation is a minority. So we've got to create the most we can with the people we have to keep it to the fore so, no. um, and as long as I'm there, that's what I'll be doing.
0: Well talking about women in, uh, in leadership roles, uh, I mean you're doing such a great job and inspiration to many, uh, congratulations on where you, where you are now and I'm sure we're going to hear more about you in the future. Tell me, uh, who's been a source of inspiration for you?
1: Um, Various people over time. I mean, we've had, um, I I guess in New Zealand, we've had women to the, you know, first country in the world where women can vote. So you look at some of those early MPs and you think about uh, what they've gone through. Mm. Um, I'll tell you who's been a real inspiration to me is my grandmother, who's Mm. 103 years old. If I look at her... And I look at my mum and the world's changing, right? So they didn't go work off, mm. off, you know, well, my grandmother was married to a timber truck driver, actually, um, granddad. Um, my mother was married to a farmer. Um, but now I look down and I'm the only granny in New Zealand who's had the uh, privilege of sitting on the young farmer's board. And that was my, part of my Dairy NZ role. Mm. And I look at that group now and, um, you know, the, the gender thing isn't so... Big in the under thirties, they just pick the best person for the job and they go. So, you know, from from my grandmother's time right through, um, I um, things have changed a lot. Um, one of my uh, most um, effective mentors, I would have to say, uh, would be actually it was a man, it was John Luxton. He was the minister of agriculture in New Zealand for a period of time. He resigned from politics and went on to the Dairy Z board. We spent 11 years on the Dairy Z board together and then I went into politics. Um, but he was one of those people, he was uh, very wise, very, um, he, he, he sat back and gave everyone else a chance as the chair. He made sure we got the learning opportunities. He made sure he spread, spread the roles around. And he just had this wonderful way of working with people. And I think, um, you know, looking at him, he was probably one of the people that most inspired me to go into politics. Mm. Um, And certainly, um, I had some really good um, help uh, from uh, women MPs when, you know, I first said, look, I'm keen to become the candidate. I'm keen to go in. You know, there's still a bit of that courage and confidence thing going on. And, um, you know, I'll mention uh, Honourable Louise Upston here because at one stage I just rang up and said, no, I can't. And she said, yes, you can. Mm. And it's just having people like that who, when you're just at the point going, oh, I'm not sure if I can do this, it's like, yes, you can. And look, honestly, it's been the most amazing step these last five years um, in moving into the position of uh, senior whip for the last 18 months for the National Caucus and getting to know my colleagues really well and getting to know how Parliament works and um, yeah, it's just you don't know what you don't know. Mm. I didn't know what a whip did five years ago when I got elected, and now here I am, the senior whip, and I'm you know engaging with the whips from the other parties, and you know overseeing a whole lot of stuff that happens in Parliament as well as my rural stuff. Um, but that's all part of building the relationships as well. So, um, And it's a good place to be in opposition because um, you know none of us are going to become ministers until we get back on the other side. Mm. Everyone's ultimate aspiration is to become a minister. Um, but I'm really happy being the senior whip for the opposition. And uh, one of my colleagues said to me recently, it's kind of a bit of a play on words, but um, dairy farmer, I've got a cow full of chocolates on my desk um, in in my Whip's office, so people know where my chocolate cow is and they lift Mm. the lid off and get the chocolate. And one of my, it took me a long time, it's a wonder, no one had thought of it before, but she said, you know what, Chief Opposition Whip you're the cow. Mm. And it's such a privilege. I'm going, why did I never think of that? Here I am, Chief Opposition Whip Cow. Yeah, you you know, how appropriate yeah. for a Dairy Woman of the Year, Dairy Farmer. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite appropriate.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> uh, and congratulations on your career to date, and, and also uh, your family as well, and it sounds like your kids are well on the way, and, yeah. uh, and a great job. Parenting is no easy role. Uh, But uh, congratulations and looking forward to hearing more about what you're up to in the future. Is there anything closing, uh, any last sort of words or advice you want to tell anybody?
1: Oh look, I just think, um, you know, all of us have a responsibility in mental health and, uh, you know, i would mentioned Lance Burdett before, he's a great advocate of wellbeing and he said we need to talk more and hug more and uh, let's not be too PC about all of this you know if someone needs a hug just give them a hug there's nothing suspicious about a hug Uh, and I just think sitting and talking and hugging is going to be the answer to keeping people um, you know helping them through their stress and anxiety in the early stages um, and then you know progressing them through if they get further but let's just care about people
0: Mm. such simple but really really important isn't yeah. it? It's, it sounds so simple. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, in a connected world, we're more disconnected than ever. Yeah. And real conversations, we sit down, look yeah. people in the eye, and have a yeah. yarn.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's yeah. going back to what, you know, what yeah. people have always done, but yeah. it's, it's, it can be so effective.
1: Put the phones away and just look and listen. Eh?
0: Well, it's been a great 50 uh, odd minutes with you, Barbara. Thanks very much for joining us. And we appreciate your time. And um, yeah, looking forward to touching base soon. And yeah. I know you uh, continue to play a really important role in mental health and, and advocating and and beating the drum for people in rural communities. So thanks, Sam. I've
1: really enjoyed it. And thanks for giving me the opportunity.
0: No worries. Thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.